Pastor Xavier Reese says, despite the humble surroundings, God's gift of His Son has been man's greatest. The angels sang, as you know, there with the shepherds, all the angels in Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. God's motive and intent behind sending the Son was goodwill, that all may be saved and not perish. But I alone can accept or reject that message as we'll see. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. It's called the season of giving. People wishing Merry Christmas to complete strangers. We even hear it's the most wonderful time of the year, harmoniously blurting out from the radio. But how often have any of us stopped to ponder what it is that makes the meaning behind the nativity scene such a source of great joy and cause for goodwill towards men? Well, coming up, Pastor Xavier unwraps the simple truth within the announcement of the angels for the incarnation of the Christ child that will forever be the greatest gift to man. Let's listen. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, verse 8 on down to 11, it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The entire record of the Messiah, the Redeemer of the world, can be summed up in three things. First, the revelation of the incarnation. Secondly, the proclamation of the expiation, need for forgiveness. And thirdly, the invitation of regeneration. I mean, God has made it so simple and so clear, though we cannot understand it just by a natural mind, but the grace of God. But the message is simple and clear. Let me begin by looking at the revelation of the incarnation. The incarnation was prophesied, as you know, in the Old Testament throughout it. Adam and Eve were the first ones that received the promises in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman was the prophecy, the first one of a woman bearing a child without the aid of a man. A woman does not have the seed. It's the man that provides the seed. The woman has the egg. That's a prophecy of a woman to bear a child without the aid of a man. From the beginning, God promised this child to be born, his son. And the tabernacle, all the furnishings, you've been with us in the Old Testament, uh, the, the ark, uh, the furnishings, the uh, tapestry, everything, all the sacrifice, they pointed to Christ, the Savior of the world, in shadows and types. He is the fulfillment of it. To the prophets like Isaiah, all the way through Micah and others, he gave the direct prophecies of the Messiah to come. In Psalm 22, we have the very clear agony of the cross that the Messiah would die for the world, declare, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? A few verses down, it gives us the reason why, because you are holy. Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And God the Father, at that 
time made his son sin. He could have none to do with his son but to judge his son on our behalf. And the father turned his back on the son. And there was a real separation in a way that we cannot understand or comprehend fully. But the wrath of the father fell on the son for me because he loves me. The virgin birth was reiterated throughout. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Behold, a virgin shall bear a son. He shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew quotes it in fulfillment of Mary. She is visited by the angel. Micah gives us the birthplace of the Messiah, Bethlehem, or Ephrata. Micah 5, 2. Now, the incarnation was um, patiently being waited for to appear because the Old Testament is progressive and God was working out the uh, revelation throughout the, the time. And Job 19.25 declared that he knew his Redeemer lived but, and that he would see him one day for he himself would see him on the earth. So Job was aware of the promise of Messiah and he was looking for Messiah. David, as we went through Samuel and Kings, we saw the history of of the people of Israel, the promises of God. And David knew the Messiah would sit on the throne of David beside his son Solomon. The double prophecy was given to him in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 11 through 17. The short-term fulfillment, his son Solomon. The long-term fulfillment, the very son of God, the Messiah. Isaiah foretold the day when the Messiah would reign on the earth. In Isaiah 2, 1 through 4, the millennial kingdom, that's still yet to come after the Lord returns for the second time and sets up his kingdom. Isaiah prayed that God would tear the heavens open, in fact, and come down to the earth, Isaiah 64.1. And God answered Isaiah, and he tore the heavens, and he sent the Son in the incarnation to die for you and for me, to redeem us. The incarnation came promptly and on time. I don't know if It may surprise you, but God's never been late for anything. He's on time. Nothing surprises him. He knows the end from the beginning. He came six months after the pregnancy of Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins. The place was the city of Nazareth, very clear through the scriptures. The person visited was the Virgin Mary, as you know. Luke, Mark, Matthew, they take different accounts, different perspectives, but nevertheless, she was visited by Gabriel and she rejoiced, but she was kind of freaked out at first because she didn't understand the message. How can I be pregnant? I've never known a man. And yet the hurt was given the high privilege to be the very mother of God. As far as we can understand the incarnation, the child would be born through her. Yet the child would be conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by a man. That just which is conceived and used by the Spirit of God, and you should call his name Emmanuel in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. Unto you is born the Son of the Highest. He would receive the throne of his father David and fulfill the prophecies. This girl of probably 14 to 16 years old, she submitted herself to the will of God, knowing the scorn, the ridicule, the very marking she would have for her whole life, submitting herself to the will of God. 
Paul the Apostle says in Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth the Son made of a woman under the law, right on time. When the world was ruled by Rome, one language, Greek, all the roads could be traveled during a time of peace, and the gospel went throughout the world, right on time. Good guess? No. <laughs> God sits in the heavens. He forces no one, but nothing surprises him. Nothing hinders him. Nothing can oppose him, yet he never violates free will of any person. So that kind of baffles us. It confounds us, and we want to find fault on God's side or some excuse to justify my rejection of the gospel and somehow find that God is unfair in some way if I haven't come to him. The revelation of the incarnation is as if there was announced a discovery for every disease in the world. Yet despite the verified cure and result, the majority of humanity would reject it by choice. Amazing. The record of the birth of Christ has been around for 2,000 years, ladies and gentlemen. And um, the biblical account was accepted and believed by the Jews, as you know. They believed the prophecies, but they missed their Messiah because they were looking for a conquering Messiah. They missed the suffering Messiah, which was so necessary. The biblical account has been accepted by every generation since that time. The biblical account will continue to be believed by some while rejected by others throughout the generations, has been in the past, it is today in the present. The angels sang, as you know, there with the shepherds, all the angels in Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. God's motive and intent behind sending the son was goodwill, that all may be saved and not perish. Peter tells us that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Yet God knows that not all will repent or even desire to be saved. So God respects the choice of man, and he does not force us. But he will be attempting to turn us till our last breath. But I alone can accept or reject that message as we'll see. The word of God is God's revelation. Some of you may be saying, well, it's just a book. Man wrote it. Well, really, you want to tell me any of the book that has prophecy? With detailed prophecy that there isn't enough zeros after a one and they come to pass exactly? There's no other book. There's no religious book that would dare to step out on prophecy because it declares the future. God says, I know the future, the end before the beginning. In fact, in Isaiah from chapter 40 on, he says to all the gods that are pagan gods, says, if you're God, tell me things before they happen, so where they happen, then I can declare you God. No one's ever taken him up on it. Oh, there's pronosticators, there's, you know, different people to say, but they're, they're, they're not 100%. A prophet of the Old Testament had to be 100% correct, otherwise they, they were stoned. And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about being loaded, I'm talking about stoned, dead. So, to be a prophet of God was a very dangerous business. You couldn't get life insurance. All the false prophets 
They declared things, but it never came to pass. God declares things before they happen. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The revelation of the incarnation is from God to demonstrate, first of all, God's goodness and our evilness. Usually people tell you, you say, well, I'm a good person. Good for what? You ask a person, have you lied? Oh, yeah. Okay, well, the Bible says you shouldn't lie. Uh, have you ever um, murdered? No. Have you murdered in your heart? If you say no, now you're a devil liar. All of us have. Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Of course you have. Have you ever been immoral sexually? The majority of people have today. So I shape God in my own image, so that makes me an idolater. I lie, that makes me a liar. I've stolen, that makes me a thief. I've killed in my heart, that makes me a murderer. I've taken God's name and I'm a blasphemer. And I declare I'm good. God says I'm guilty. So according to the Bible, I deserve God's wrath. But the son took the wrath for me. God has wanted me to agree with him. Not how good I am, but how bad I am and how good God is to send the son to die for me. I agree with him. Now the proclamation of expiation is the principle of blood. He says this from the beginning. In Genesis 3.21, as you know, when Adam and Eve failed, and they blew it, sin entered in, death through sin. And God took an innocent animal in Genesis 3.21 and killed it and covered the sin of Adam and Eve through blood and covered their nakedness with the clothing. That's the principle of expiation. Expiation simply means the covering, the forgiveness, the atoning power to put that sin away. The only thing is all the blood of the Old Testament of animals was only like an IOU to come. They pointed to the true Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, to come. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world in John 1.29. And so all those Old Testament sacrifices pointed to the ultimate payment of Jesus Christ. Um, when I used to work for Prado Marcus back in the 60s and early 70s, you know, we had certain people, we were good customers, and we knew them, and we'd give them IOUs and write up IOUs for the week, and I'd, every time i close out my books that night, I'd do the books, and I'd count them as cash, or IOUs, you know, $100, $200, whatever, and it balanced my books, and then at the end of the week, they'd come in, pay it, and they'd give me the money, cash, and I'd give them their, their receipt, and they'd tear it up, and we'd be even, and my, my, my drawer was still balanced, right? But I never for once believed that those little pieces of paper were actual money, but I knew they were as good as money because the payment was coming Friday, right? And that's exactly what happened with all the animal sacrifice. They were IUs of the true payment to come. Jesus Christ, who expiated our sins through his blood. All the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, the first five chapters, all of them. Some were blood sacrifice, some were not. But it was the blood, the principle of forgiveness throughout. That means that that blood not only forgives, but then there's a mediator between. In the Old Testament, the high priest would be the mediator. He would be a go-between. When he would go before God, he would represent the people to God. And he would offer the sacrifice. When he came out of the Holy Holies, and he would, he would represent God to the people. And in the daily ministration that he did. A mediator, go-between. Jesus Christ is that mediator. He is the go-between. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 2, 5. There's no other one else. No one else has died for the sins of the world. No one else has resurrected from the dead. No one else has ever fulfilled the scriptures that are directed directly to Jesus. Not Buddha, not Krishna, 
Not Allah, not Peter, no one. The provision of, for expiation, again, was the Lamb of God. The Old Testament, lambs, goats, different things depending on the sacrifice. But the ultimate fulfillment was in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. God who became man. Philippians 2.5 says, being in the form of God. The word being is a, what's called an antecedental condition, which means he was God before he came, he was God when he was here, and he was God when he left. Because you can't be more than God. But God became man. He became less for a time to take our place as the last Adam to demonstrate that the first Adam didn't have to fail but chose to fail, and the last Adam would not fail, and he would redeem the world. But he would force no one to be redeemed but make the provisions for redemption through the expiation on the cross, the payment. The proclamation of the expiation is as clear in the Bible as the good year blimp that flies around here on New Year's. <laughs> you can't miss it. Many people say, well, the Bible's real complicated and you can't understand. And, and again, you can't understand just through a natural mind. But yet, if you are hearing the gospel, if you don't know Jesus Christ right now, I know that God is allowing you to understand what I'm saying by his spirit. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, by the proclamation of the gospel. Not because I'm such a good teacher or because you're so smart. And he gives you that time, what's called illumination, so that you understand that you are a sinner and you understand that he offers salvation to you. But he won't make the decision for you. You have to take that step so that if you reject, he has a basis by which he can judge you for the rejection of love and hold you responsible. For if God forced you to go to heaven, then he would be violating your will. And if he forced you to go to hell by not allowing you a chance, then how could he judge you for rejecting him? He would be evil and unjust. And if you get to heaven, you'll never find a group of people arguing over here all upset. And you walk up and you say, why are you guys all upset? You're not going to hear him say, you know, I wanted to go to hell, but God forced me to come to heaven. But if you get to hell, you will hear every person say, you know, I could have gone to heaven. And I chose to go to hell. There is not one person in hell tonight that is not a believer. They believe the gospel, but it can't save them now. Salvation is while you're living, not after you die. There is no second opportunity after death. Anybody who gives you that hope is a liar and contradicts the Bible and calls Jesus a liar. Again, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, Jesus Christ. John 1, 29. Peter says we're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. What the law could not do because it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son the likeness of sinful flesh and condemned sin in the flesh and allowed us to be accepted in his son. The righteousness of Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 3 through 4. By believing God about his word. This is the proclamation of the expiation. It can't be any clearer. He dying on the cross took my place. And God accepted his sacrifice as the payment for my sin. 
and he signed it in blood, the precious blood, without sin. Your blood, my blood, as human beings, is tainted with sin. When we have children, we produce little sinners. And you're lucky God gives you babies that don't have teeth, can't walk, and are very strong. Because if they could walk, had teeth, and strong, they'd straddle your neck, mommy, in the middle of the night, says, where's my milk? They don't care about you. If you've only had two hours sleep, they're hungry. So he gives them to us young, weak, unable to do anything, so we care for them, and we begin to discipline them, domesticate them, (laughs) teach them, so they don't grow up to be little savages. Now, the invitation is for regeneration then. I've hinted about it throughout the two points, but the last one. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again or you will never see the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. And he went on to illustrate that the wind blows where it wills and you don't see where it's coming from, but you see the effects of it. And he compares that to the new birth. When I was born again in 1973, I didn't change outwardly. But my friends saw that my life changed. Now, we just had some incredible winds here in Pasadena. Now, you couldn't see the wind, but you sure saw the effects of the wind. If that tree fell to the north, you knew that wind was coming from the south. And when they looked at my life after knowing me in the world and all that, they knew something had happened to me. It was a 180-degree turn. Never sinless, never perfect, but let me tell you, totally different by the grace of God, see? The new birth. People may deny it, people may scratch their head, doesn't matter, they can't deny the effects on it. You're the same outside, but the inside is different. Because the problem is the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked. Above all things, and God knows how wicked it is, People try to blame the environment. They try to blame everything else. God says, no, no, no. Listen, you got to agree with me. The problem's your heart. And when I agree with God that's my heart, that's the problem, then he starts dealing with me. And if I call upon him agreeing that I'm a sinner, then he can deal with my heart and give me a new heart. Now, as I'm born again, then I become a new creature, 2 Corinthians 5.17. But I still have an old sin nature. And now I have a divine nature, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. And there's a clashing between the two. I'm not religious. I'm born again. I'm a new creature. I don't do things to be accepted by God. I've been accepted by God by the grace of God. And because I know he loves me and I know that he's redeemed me and saved me from hell and destruction, now the evidence of my love for him is that I allow him to live through me to guide and direct, and I'm very aware of what's right and wrong. Creation, conscience, and history cannot save me. All it can tell me there is a God. It's the gospel that gives you special revelation. The gospel says you are a sinner. You are under God's wrath, and that God sent his son to become sin for you, that you might not perish. And the motive and the reason is because he's loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes him should not perish, 
couple of everlasting life. Well, with that, we're going to have to pause for today. Pastor Xavier Reese will be providing the conclusion of this Simple Truth special Christmas message on our next get-together. But you can hear this program again for any part you may have missed simply by logging on to CalvaryChapelPasadena.com and locating the radio listings link. You can pick up a CD copy of this message as well. And the title you want to ask for is Jesus Redeemer. As usual, it's available on CD for only $4. And make sure you pass on this study to a friend in your church or Bible study when you're through. Once again, the title to ask for is Jesus Redeemer. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com